My name is Kevin Armstrong, and uh, I'm privileged to serve as senior pastor for this church. And so welcome. Great to have you with us here today. We are extremely blessed in this congregation with um, individuals who love the Lord, have wonderful musical talents, and use those in leading us in worship. So thank you to this team and every worship team. Would you give them a round of applause? They do an awesome job. They really do. And uh, I hope you're blessed uh, every time you come uh, and have the opportunity to worship with us as a, as a community. Uh, we just sang that God has given us freedom. The freedom is there. The freedom stands. It is accomplished by Christ on the cross. There is nothing that prevents you and I from living that freedom except ourselves. So let's pray. Let's just quiet our hearts and be still before the Lord and reflect upon what we've just sung and let it sink deep into our hearts and minds. Lord Jesus, help us to set aside the noise in our heads and in our hearts, our worries, our anxieties, our stresses, so that we might sit at your feet as your people and just be with you. Whatever our circumstances, whatever our everyday, we know that our awareness that you are with us changes everything. So by the power of your Holy Spirit, help us to be more aware. Holy Spirit, you are here. And you are here to touch our hearts and our minds, to bring us to Jesus and to the glory of the Father. Still waters run deep. And it is through the stillness of that small voice deep within us that you speak to us. Help us to hear. Help us to have ears and hearts that are open to you today, to your word as it is shared, to your servant as he speaks. Holy Spirit, this is your time. May your will be done. May your kingdom come here as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So I hope you had a great long weekend last weekend. Uh, Like many of you who were um, getting ready for summer, Shirley and I uh, spent some time last weekend opening up our backyard. We have uh, a large backyard. Shirley's a, a wonderful gardener. Um, She has got a beautiful garden, and every year we have to get it ready as we start the year and then clean it up in the fall, and and so there's a fair bit of work for us to do, but it's something that we enjoy, and we enjoy doing it together. So we were out there on Monday, I believe it was. Monday was kind of really the nice day of the weekend, and we were uh, getting the garden ready and everything, and and at one point in the afternoon, I I, I sat down. We have a bench uh, at the back of our yard, and I sat down on this bench, and I looked out over 
the yard. And of course, it being spring, everything is just bursting. The greens are vibrant and brilliant. The trees were all beginning to burst out with their, their leaves. Everything was popping out of the ground, and there was this brilliant blue sky. We have these two cherry trees there in our yard, and they, there were still some vestiges of the blossoms on them. And, and just looking at this sight, at this marvelous picture of God's nature, it took my breath away. And as I sat on this bench, suddenly I had this, this surreal moment. And I looked at it, and I heard in my head, and I said in my heart at the same time, God, you are good. How beautiful this is. You made this. And at the same moment that I took it in and received it, I gave it back to God in praise. And it just happened instantaneously. But it's, I, I tried to figure out, how do I put it into words so that you can... I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to share that experience with you in a way that you can understand if, if you've never had it or you, don't have, or you don't have those kinds of experiences. Because it truly was a supernatural moment. In that moment, I was experiencing the presence of God. It was as if he was sitting on the bench right beside me, looking at what I was looking at and saying, Do you like it, Kevin? I made that. And I had all of this flood of emotion as I thought, wow, you know, this is what it is to be human, to, to be God's person, to be in the garden, listening to him, enjoying, working with what he's created and made. I never, I, it was just this wonderful moment of feeling so close to God and feeling his presence. And I wanted to share that with you. And try to figure out, how do, I, how do I convey that? And how do I help you understand why I think that's so important for us as God's people? I mean, how did I know? How did I know it wasn't just this kind of um, emotion within me? How do I know it wasn't just, you know, something that came from... How do I know it was God? How do I know it was the Holy Spirit? Well, I've, I just know. I've learned to know. Because I've learned to look. There is this, well, I shouldn't say that. I am learning. I am learning to look. There's a Psalm 89, verse 15. There's a verse that I came across, you know, a little while ago, which I think is just a beautiful verse that says this. It says, Blessed are those who have learned to acclaim you, who walk in the light of your presence, O Lord. And that's what this was all about. You see, a couple of years ago, and I've told you, you know, I've told you this story. I'm sure I've told you, you know, parts of this story. But a, a couple of years ago, God made a, a big impact on my life. And I came face to face with the reality that even though I'd been a Christian for a long time and a pastor for a long time, I was hungry and thirsting for, for more. There had to be more because I wasn't satisfied with what I was seeing. I wasn't satisfied with the fruit of my life. I wasn't satisfied with the fruit of my ministry. I had this great dissatisfaction inside of me saying, God, there has to be more. And God led me to see that the more is the power of the Holy Spirit. We've been talking about that now for two years in this church. The more is the power of the Holy Spirit. And so I began to explore that and I began to learn about that. I said, okay, God, if that's the more, then help me to want it. I was a bit afraid of it, and I'll tell you why a little later. But I went to a friend of mine who is a person who I believe is filled with the Holy Spirit. When he prays for people to be healed, they get healed. 
He gets, you know, visions and dreams and ideas. He's this guy who will go through a grocery store, and he'll hear the Holy Spirit say something to him, and he'll say to somebody, he'll say, um, you know, just a clerk in the store, he'll say, uh, do you have back pain? And the person says, well, yeah. And he says, well, God just showed that to me, and he's, would you mind if I prayed for you? God would like to heal you. And he prays for them, and they feel better immediately. Now, trust me, if that sounds weird to you, imagine what it sounded like to me. And I didn't believe that for a long time. I was a skeptic for a long time. I'm still somewhat cautious, and I'll talk about that as, as well. But I went to see this friend because he's a person who, like I said, when he prays, stuff happens. And there's no denying the stuff that happens. And so when God created this hunger within me, and I went to see him, and I, and I explained to him what was going on, I explained to, and, and I said to him, I said, look, I said, I said, I, I believe that I need more of the Holy Spirit. And I'll tell you, I fully expected what I desired, what I wanted, what I thought was going to happen. Because, you know, I've read books about people who've, who've encountered the Holy Spirit and been filled with the Holy Spirit, pastors, and everybody from A.W. Tozer to contemporary pastors, whatever. And they often have a common experience where they just get overpowered by the Holy Spirit. And I, and I was scared of that, but I thought, well, if that's what it is, I, I'll be open to it. We'll talk about that in a second as well. And so I kind of expected, I thought, well, you know what, he'll put his hands on me, he'll pray for me, I'll be filled with the Holy Spirit, I'll be a changed person, it'll all be good. So I told him my story, and he looked at me for a moment, and he did nothing. And then he said, well, I'll tell you what, Kev, he said, you just keep seeking God, and he'll show up. I left disappointed. I really did. I left disappointed. Because I thought, well, I was expecting, do it the quick way. Do it the quick way. But you know, the experience that I had, what God was saying to me was so real. I was not, I could not deny it. I did not want to deny it. The Holy Spirit was working in my life and making me hungry. And so I began to search and I began to learn and I began to pray, and I began to look. And sure enough, God began to show up. God began to show up in unexpected ways. God began to show up in incredible ways. And this verse, has, I have been living this verse for the last two years. Because every time I have one of those experiences with God, I feel blessed. I feel blessed. Whether it's in worship, and I've told you this, you know, when I come here, I come to worship with all of my heart, and every once in a while, my breath will just get sucked away because I'll have this realization that I'm worshiping the God of heaven where if, in, if, if we could see what was going on in heaven, the angels and the saints on their faces before this God because he deserves our praise, he deserves our worship. And in a moment, it just gets sucked right out of me because I'm caught up with that. And I feel blessed. I feel blessed. You know, God says, if you seek me with all of your hearts, you'll find me. I grew up with that verse. I've heard that verse all my life. It sounds like work. It sounds like hard work. But you know, it's throughout the Bible. And what I'm going to talk about today is throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, 
That passage, if you seek me with all of your hearts, you'll truly find me. You'll find it five, in five different places in the Bible. You'll find it in the law. It's in the book of Deuteronomy. You'll find it in the wisdom literature. It's in Proverbs. You'll find it in the prophets. It's in Jeremiah. You'll find it in the gospels. It's in Matthew and Luke. And you'll find it in the writings of Paul in his words in the book of Acts. If you seek me with all of your heart, you'll find me. The light bulb moment for me was when I read A.W. Tozer's book, The Pursuit of God, where he talks about, you know, we, our theology tells us that God is everywhere. We live, move, and have our being in him. God is present here right now. We believe that. Our theology believes that. Can you experience that? Can you feel that? Can you sense that? Is that real to us? Jesus says, wherever two or more of you are gathered in my name, I'm right there. Jesus is here right now. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. The Holy Spirit is here right now. Can you sense it? Can you experience the presence of God at this moment in this place? Because he's here. But as Tozer says, we can't because we don't search. We can't because we don't seek. Because we're not reaching. And because we don't reach, we don't sense, we don't experience. But when we make a habit, as it says in the psalm, to, to, uh, to walk in the light of his presence, we become awakened to God's presence all around us. It's not that God shows up. God's never left. But we awaken. Something changes in us, and we become aware we become aware of the presence of God and we begin to see and hear and sense and experience the presence of God in ways that we had never done before. And believe me, when you have those experiences, they're sublime and you want more. What do we think heaven's going to be like? What do we think it's like to be in the presence of God? If you look at the story of the transfiguration, where the three disciples were, saw Jesus transfigured, and they were suddenly caught up in this supernatural, mystical experience of the glorified Christ in the presence of the Father and the Holy Spirit, what was their reaction? They said, this is awesome. Let's build houses and stay here. That is what our future, our future is to be so wired to God, so caught up with God that, we're, that we are conscious of God all the time. That's what I loved about A.W. Tozer when he talks about worship, that when we worship, we should become so God conscious that we forget everything else. That everything that you've brought into this room is just left behind because you are so God conscious through worship. What does it mean when we say that God inhabits our praises? We find him when we praise him. We find him when we worship him. We find him when we seek him. We find him when we reach out for him. And when we find him, we are blessed. Because he is good and beautiful and powerful. And we get a little taste of it in the here and now, in real, tangible, everyday ways. Coolest thing ever. That stands in, in juxtaposition to the passage that we're going to read today. That's all my introduction, by the way. I wondered how we were going to get through this today. 
Um, Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. This is the last message in our series uh, on the kingdom of heaven in terms of the presence and power of the kingdom. And in Matthew chapter 12, verse 22 to 29, is the passage I want us to look at today. Let me set the context. We began this series by looking earlier in the chapter, in chapter 12, 22, um, where it talks about Jesus having healed a demon-possessed person. The person couldn't see, the person couldn't, couldn't hear because of the demon. And Jesus heals the man, and the man is healed, and people are amazed. And as a result of this amazing miracle, they say, could this be the Messiah? Could this be the Messiah? But the Pharisees step in and they say, no, 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 no. This man's power comes from Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Jesus called their logic into question. He says, how can a kingdom divided against itself stand? What you're saying makes no sense. But then he says, but if I am doing these miracles by the power of the Holy Spirit, then know that the kingdom of heaven has come upon you. And in that message, we talked about the fact that it was the power of the Holy Spirit doing these things as the, ev- as the demonstration of the presence of the kingdom, that the kingdom was becoming visible through the work of the Holy Spirit in the here and now in ways that they could not make sense of in any other way. That's the context of this passage. And then Jesus says this in verse 30 to 32. Immediately following on what we've just talked about, he says this, He who's not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. And so I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but anyone who speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. Those are pretty sobering words coming right out of the mouth of our Lord Jesus. He says, you can diss me, but you cannot diss the Holy Spirit. Why? Why not? What's so wrong with this? What's going on? We often use this passage, people worry about the, something that's called the unpardonable sin. And we talk about it as the unforgivable sin. Oh my goodness, I've done something so terrible that God will not forgive me. And we think of a passage like this, uh, but that's not what this is talking about. That's not what this is talking about at all. It's not that these people are doing something that God cannot forgive. There is no sin that human beings can, can commit that is not already forgiven on the cross. The blood of Jesus Christ covers every sin. There's no sin. Your past, present, and future sins, if you are in Christ, are already taken care of on the cross. You have nothing to fear, nothing to worry about, no matter how busted up your life becomes or how much of a mess you're making of things. If you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. So what's going on here? What's going on in this verse? Well, these are priests and Pharisees who are seeing the the power of the Holy Spirit being demonstrated in Jesus and are absolutely refusing to recognize it. But not only that, they're going a step further and saying, that's not God, that's the devil. That's not God at work. 
That's the devil at work. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. Because if your hearts are so hardened to me that you resist even the work of the Holy Spirit in these powerful demonstrated ways, what hope is there for you? How can God reach you? The Holy Spirit comes from the Father in Christ. The Holy Spirit does the work. The Holy Spirit is the one who brings us to Jesus. The Holy Spirit is the one who transforms. The Holy Spirit is God with us. And if if our hearts are so hardened to the Holy Spirit that we refuse to recognize where he's working, what hope is there? How can God reach us? There is no other way. What these Pharisees were demonstrating was a profoundly hardened heart. And that, Jesus said, God can't change. That is unpardonable. Why? Because it refuses to submit and come to Jesus. And there is no other path to salvation. So what hope is there? There's none. Absolutely none. It is a sobering passage. It's meant to be a sobering passage because these people were on dangerous, dangerous ground because of the hardness of their heart and the refusal to see what God was doing right in front of them. We know this partly by contrasting it with the experience that Jesus has with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. In John chapter 3, Nicodemus, who we're told was a ruler of the Jews, a Pharisee, comes to Jesus at night. And he says this, he says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the miraculous signs you are doing if God were not with him. You see, they knew, who, they knew that Jesus had come from God. They knew. They, so when they said over here, when they said, oh, no, 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 he's doing this by the power of the devil, that was a blatant lie and they knew it. That was fake news and they knew it and they said it specifically because they wanted to discredit Jesus and not have people come to Jesus. But they knew. Nicodemus says this, we know that no one could perform these wonders if it were not God doing it through him. But what's even more interesting is how Jesus replies to Nicodemus. Have you ever thought about it? So here's Jesus, he's, Nicodemus, he says, we know you're a teacher, come from God. So he's looking, he comes at night, he's looking for explanation, like, tell us really what's going on. Tell us really what's going on, Jesus. Who are you, really? Nicodemus wanted to know. And Jesus' answer is so perplexing. Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless he's born of water and the Spirit. What has that got to do with what Nicodemus asked about? Nicodemus says, who are you? And Jesus says, you know what? You can't enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born of water and the Spirit. And Nicodemus goes on to ask him, well, how, how, do you, how can you be born you know, every mother a second time? And Jesus says, no, 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 I'm talking about spiritual birth. I'm talking about spiritual birth. And he goes on and he says, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to, the, to Spirit. As we've been talking about the kingdom of heaven, 
this year. We've, met, we've mentioned the fact that it is something you have to be born into by the Holy Spirit. You have, to be, you have to be born again to even begin to understand or see it or get it or experience it. We also read in Matthew 18 that you have to become like a little child to enter into the kingdom of heaven. We talked about the Beatitudes. We've talked about the parables. We've talked about the difference between this kingdom, the reign of God, the rule of God that manifests itself physically and, and demonstratively in the world that you and I inhabit today is first and foremost a spiritual kingdom. It's something that happens by the Spirit, in the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives birth to it when we yield to Him. If we try to live the kingdom of God by the flesh, we fail and we fail miserably. Or we, bother, we don't even bother trying. We come up with a theology that says we don't need to do that. Because nobody can. But if we submit and surrender and yield and learn what it is to live by the Spirit, the Spirit will give birth to the kingdom of heaven in our midst. Through us and around us and among us. And the kingdom of heaven will become tangible, visible, touchable. Because the Spirit gives birth to it. And that is why our relationship with the Holy Spirit is so important. Is so important. I often was wondering, you know, looking at my life and thinking back, what makes a good Christian? I grew up in a Bible-believing church. I went to a Bible college. I have my MDiv. I've been a pastor for 31 years. I know my Bible pretty well, and I think, and I'm not boasting here, but I believe I know it probably as well or better than most of us gathered in this room. I've tried to live by it. I've been blessed to try, you know, to be in a place where, where uh, I could read it regularly and teach it regularly and study it deeply. I can read the New Testament in the original Greek and love to study and read it in the original Greek. I love the Bible. I know the Bible. The Bible feeds and nurtures me and shapes me. And for many, many years, I believed that what it was to be a Christian was to study your Bible and to try not to sin. And I knew about the Holy Spirit. But really the Holy Spirit was never really something that was taught very much or talked about very much. In fact, in my church, like many evangelical churches, the Holy Spirit was something we were afraid of. Because we didn't want to be like those charismatics. Now, there's probably more to it than that, of course. When I was in Montreal, pastoring a church in Montreal... Our church was going through a spiritual awakening, and any time, I believe, any time there's a spiritual awakening going on, the Holy Spirit is front and center. And so we were learning about the Holy Spirit, and we desired, we said, well, let's be more open to the Holy Spirit, and we began to ask and seek and knock and look for the Holy Spirit to have more, to learn more about it, and the church blew up in my face. And I, I looked at it, and I said, well, that cannot be right. That can't be what God wanted. And it scared me away from the Holy Spirit for a long time. For a long time. 
What's interesting is now that I'm searching and asking and seeking again, I know what my mistake was then, and maybe I'll mention that in a second, but I want to share a quote for you. This is one of the books that I read back at that time. is a book by J.I. Packer called Keep in Step with the Spirit. J.I. Packer, for any who, who don't know him, uh, is a, a deeply respected evangelical conservative scholar, biblical scholar, uh, a person who, uh, who most of the preachers that you listen to on WDCX would recognize an, as an authority and a conservative authority. And he wrote a book in the early 90s called Keep in Step with the Spirit to address this issue of the Holy Spirit in the evangelical church and the, and the tension that evangelicals had with the Holy Spirit. And I read that book. And still my church blew up. But I went and I got it off the shelf again in preparation for this message. And I thumbed through it and it was all the highlighted passages. And I came across this passage that I had highlighted back in 1996. And here's what it says. Supernatural living through supernatural empowering is at the very heart of New Testament Christianity. So that those who, while professing faith, do not show forth this empowering are suspect by New Testament standards. And that empowering is always the work of the Holy Spirit, even when Christ only is named as its source. For Christ is the Spirit giver. No power from Christ through the Spirit is a theme. So, sorry, so power from Christ through the Spirit is a theme that should always be given prominence whenever and wherever Christianity is taught. And when I read that, I immediately thought of this slogan, this phrase that we came up with a few years ago that we preached on called Made for More. Do you remember that? Made for more. Because as God was leading me and leading our, our elders and leading our church into this, into this realm of wanting to know and be led more by the Holy Spirit, he first convicted us by saying there's got to be more. It has, there has to be more. This can't be everything that God wants for you and me and for us and for the church and for the world. So he started making us hungry and started ask, us asking, what is the more? What is being made for more? And then we found those passages that Paul talks about where we're not merely human. Elizabeth talked, touched on that last week. That you and I, if we are in Christ, we are spirit-born, spirit-led, spirit-empowered human beings. We are not merely human. We're meant to be supernaturally human. Because the Holy Spirit is in us. But more than that, we walk with Him. We listen to Him. We talk to Him. We have a relationship with Him. And He, through us, births the kingdom of heaven. That's what it means to be made for more. And it was right there on the page 20 years ago. 20 years ago. What went wrong in Montreal? Well, the Bible has a lot to say about how you and I are meant to live with the Holy Spirit. Lots to say. I mean, my goodness, now every time I read the Bible, it just, it just pops up everywhere, no matter where I'm reading it. It's everywhere. But one of the things that I learned coming out of that experience in Montreal is that without the gift of discernment, dabbling in the supernatural is a scary and dangerous thing. Because the spirit world is real. But there's also a dark side. And so one needs to learn how to discern 
between darkness and light. And we hadn't learned that in Montreal. And so one of the things that we experienced when we were talking about it here and bringing it to the elders here and talking about it here is we realized that we needed to exercise discernment to listen to God and ask God to guide us and lead us and to be able to to work together and listen to God together to discern the spirits. The Bible says this, right? We read this in... in, um, uh, in Thessalonians and 1 John, that we are, we are told, told by the Bible that yes, we should discern, but don't go to the point of denial. Test everything, hold on to the good, Paul says in Thessalonians. By all means, the Bereans search the scriptures daily. If you, if you don't think all of this Holy Spirit stuff comes from the Bible, go read your Bible. There is nothing that I am saying here today that doesn't come from Scripture and that I can't support from Scripture. So we need to test it, but once we've tested it, we need to hold on to it because the denying part, that's getting over here by the Pharisees who say, I don't want to believe that. I don't want that to be true because I don't want to go there. Don't do that. Test the spirits to see if they are from God. John warns us. He says, look, not every spirit out there is from God. So absolutely test things. Put it to the test. The Bereans, when they studied the scriptures, to see if these things were so. They didn't study to disprove them. They studied to see if what they were learning was true. Heart matters. And that's if we were to go back to Matthew 12 and look at why Jesus said what he said about the Pharisees, he talks about a good tree and a bad tree, and he says, you know, what's going on in your heart? Because what's in your heart is going to be reflected in what you say. It's going to be reflected in the decisions you make. By all means, we need to learn discernment. And you know that's one of the reasons that we took an exercise in listening prayer. I think back over the things that we've done in this church over the last few years. And this is why I wanted to share this today. I want to try and encourage you to connect the dots. Because we're almost done this year's preaching on, the, on restore the kingdom of heaven here as it is now. And I please, I, I do not want us to think that we are done with the kingdom of heaven because we're moving on in the year. We can't be. The kingdom of God was the very message that Jesus proclaimed. It is the gospel. It's the heart and core and soul of what it is to be a Christian church. We will not give it up. We have to continue to explore it and enter into it. The Bible tells us that we need to learn what it is to live by the Spirit. Galatians 5 and verse 21. And there's a number of verses where it tells us this. And the reason I bring these up here, the the slide should be there. Next one, there, there you go. Um, is because I want us to see the nature of the relationship, of what it is, the, the word keep in step with the Spirit, if, it, if it's, or live by the Spirit, in, in the original Greek, it means to march alongside of. And the picture is, the Holy Spirit is moving. The Holy Spirit is moving, and you and I are walking right alongside, we are keeping in step with Him, we're moving right alongside of Him. So that wherever the Holy Spirit wants to go, whatever the Holy Spirit wants to do, you and I are in step with Him. 
You see, so often what happens is if the Holy Spirit is an afterthought, if we don't know what it is and we're not practicing what it is to live every day with an awareness of God's presence, then when we need God, we call out to Him. But we really don't know how to perceive Him, how to identify if He's come. But if we're keeping in step with Him, He can talk to us. He can prompt us. He can prod us. He can give us dreams. He can give us visions. He can give us words through other people. We talked about, last, last year, we talked about the exercise of, of being still and all the different ways that God can speak to us. And we encouraged us as a church to practice listening prayer, to practice being still in God's presence so that we could learn to listen and hear God speak. Our elders have been practicing that. Have you? Two years we've been talking about that. At the beginning of this ministry year, I encourage us every day to pray the Lord's Prayer. Why? Doesn't the Bible say that vain repetition is wrong? Yeah, if we, if we just say it emptily, it is. But to say it and mean it, to say it as a prayer, to say, God, dear God, Father in heaven, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. To pray that and mean it every day? Believe me, you will begin to awaken to how the Holy Spirit is bringing that kingdom into reality around you. That's a prayer God loves to answer. A, God, a prayer He loves to answer. So what does it look like to, live, to, to walk in the Spirit? It looks like that. Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 16. And it's his prayer for the church in Ephesus. He says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he might strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Think about that for a second. This is Paul's prayer that he, God, through his glorious riches may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's where the Holy Spirit works. The Holy Spirit works in your inner being, that innermost man. So when I was sitting on that bench, having that moment with God, I have no idea where that conversation originated except that it originated and was going on in my inner being, in my soul, in who I am as a person. When I brought it up to my head to rationalize it and say, this doesn't make sense, then my brain deceives me, right? Because the Holy Spirit is working here in the inner man. I use my, my intellect to examine and test what the Holy Spirit is doing in my inner man, but I do not use my intellect and my reason to deny what the Holy Spirit is doing in my inner man. Don't do that. Don't quench the Spirit. Don't resist the Spirit. Don't frustrate the Spirit. Walk with Him. Pray in Him. Submit to Him. Let Him lead you. Paul says in Romans, those that are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. doesn't matter how well you know your Bible if you're not being led by the Holy Spirit. You could just be a Pharisee. Don't. Don't. 
Don't do that. The Spirit works on the inner man, the soul, the very being of who we are. Now, I'm still learning, and I am still searching. It's a few things. How do I do it? How do I approach it? If you're looking for a vocab, how do we get started? We've, we've said a number of times in the church how to do that, right? It says in the Gospel of Luke that God gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Every day I ask to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Every single day. And every day I try to awaken and pay attention to what's going on around me and I look for those God moments, those God sightings, and sometimes they just show up without me even looking. And when I see them, I recognize them for what they are and I call them out for what they are. I am learning to acclaim God for who he is. And there is this kind of reinforcing thing that takes place the more I do it, the easier it becomes, and the more often it happens, and the more it becomes accessible. Why? Because I'm seeking. I'm seeking. Now, I am not saying this to boast. I really didn't know what... I, I struggled with this message and what I was going to say today, and I've gone on too long as it is, but I struggled with what I was going to say. Because, you know, it's been a year since this church asked me to serve as its pastor. And it took me a while to come to terms with that and, and kind of wrestle with that. Because on the one hand, I feel that, that you know, God is speaking to all of us and God is working with all of us and God is leading all of us and I am so grateful for the elders' body that I submit to that, that watch over me and guide me and lead me and teach me and help me. I am so grateful for that because I do not want to drive this church anywhere. Nor do I want to scatter any of you. But I want this. I want you to know what I know. I want you to experience what I'm experiencing. I want you to want to be led and filled by the Holy Spirit because then we will be a very different church. And I don't want that for us. We will be blessed in the doing. I want it for the world. Because I am tired of the local church which is meant to be the hope of the world not being that. There's too much pain too much suffering, too much sorrow, too much loneliness, too much hurt, too much brokenness, too much suffering out there for you and I to be ineffective as the people of God. No more. And you and I cannot do anything more to change that except live by the Spirit. He'll do the rest. I honestly believe that. So that's my message. That's my message. My caution is this. It comes from Expositor's Bible commentary on this passage that Jesus talked about to the Pharisees. Where it says this. It says, The New Testament reveals how close one can come to the kingdom, tasting, touching, perceiving, understanding, and that to come this far and reject the truth is unforgivable. 
and the kingdom of God is at your doorstep, do not reject it. Embrace it. Enter into it. And it's here. Invite the ushers to come forward for communion. I wondered, how do you bridge to communion with all of this talk about the Holy Spirit? The passage that came to mind was 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Bear with me as I read it, if you would. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all drank, drank, or sorry, ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Don't be idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and they got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did, and were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did, and were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Therefore, because of all of this, he says, therefore, flee from idolatry. I speak to a sensible people, judge for yourselves what I say. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation in the blood of Christ? Is not the bread that we break a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the same loaf. What Paul is saying here is he's saying, when we come to this table, remember who we are. Remember that we are God's people. That we are God's chosen people, God's elect. We are God's church on earth today. And when we come to this table, we receive that. And we walk away in the light of that. To be that out there. And and, And Paul says, don't forget who you belong to when you take at the table. You and I have intimate fellowship with Jesus, the power of the Holy Spirit in the inner person. It's who we are if we are in Christ. And this is what makes it possible. Let's pray for the elements. Heavenly Father, Father, raise up your church. Raise up your people, not just here at Forestbrook, Lord, but 
around the world. The world so needs the gospel of your kingdom. It so needs the people of your kingdom, the community of your kingdom, the community that is united in Jesus Christ. The community that gathers around this table and says, doesn't matter who you are or where you've come from or what you've done, Jesus has died for you in his shed blood and broken body, have redeemed you and cleansed you and given you freedom. Now go and live as the servants of God. Heavenly Father, may we be filled with your Holy Spirit. Meet us here in the table. Meet us here in these elements. We remember and give thanks for the sacrifice of Jesus. The Son of Man said when, when he is lifted up, he will draw all people to himself. Lord, if there is anyone here today who doesn't know Jesus as Savior, bring them to that conviction now. Help them understand what Jesus has done for them so that they could live, but not as who they are, but as who he has called them to be. And for each of us, Lord, who know and have tasted and see and live as citizens of the kingdom of heaven now, may we celebrate the king in this communion and may we leave this table renewed and refreshed, filled by your Holy Spirit to be your people in the world. And through us, by your Holy Spirit, may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And in Jesus' name we pray.